righty. Seven, seven. We are in our summer series, seven, week number six. Uh, if you are visiting us for the first time this morning, uh, my name is Efren Pena. I am uh, the campus pastor here at South Hills. We are one of 10 incredible campuses. Uh, we are one church, 10 campuses all throughout Southern California, uh, Puerto Rico, and Africa. And uh, we are ready, getting ready to launch some other campuses in 2020. Uh, we'll get much later and we'll give that information out. But uh, I hope that you enjoy your time with us. Feel welcome, feel love. There's fresh coffee. There's uh, some yummy donut holes back there. Have your full. Uh, and um, let's jump right into it. So we are smack dab in the middle of our seven series. We are in week number six. Um, we have just two more weeks after today. I don't know about you, but uh, this series has been incredible. There's some there's some stuff, man. We are we're we're like a mechanic going in and under the car, and we're just taking stuff out. We're like, no, oh, this not good. This not good, you know. And um, if 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 you don't ever change the oil in your car, then you might be like, oh, this series is no bueno. It's no good because you don't change the oil in your car. Wait till your car stops functioning. Then you're going to understand why you need to change the oil in your car. So we are in this series. You can catch it on Facebook and our podcast channel if you missed any of the previous weeks. But uh, this is what we've been talking about. We all, get, we all stumble. We all get caught on. We all trip over these, these vices in our lives that, that we go through. Some of us are quicker to acknowledge it or, or say that we are actually caught in it. But there's these things that we have that we go through and we trip over them. Uh, and, and it causes uh, a lot of crazy things to happen in our lives. More, impose, more importantly, it, it causes a wedge, right? It puts a wedge between you living you where you are right now and you living the, the life that God has purpose and, attend, and att- intended for you to live. And so these vices uh, have been called or nicknamed the seven deadly sins, right? These, these, these hiccups in our lives that we get caught up on that cause damage, damage to, to us as individuals, damage to the people that are, are around our inner circle, people that we love and appreciate, and even to those on the outer parts of these uh, relationship circles that we have. And so, again, they've been uh, nicknamed, or these tendencies have been nicknamed the seven deadly sins. And we've been talking about how do they come up, right? Why do they come up? How do we address them, right? How do we, we, we fix these issues that we we're currently going through. Because as, as believers, as followers of Jesus, we are called to live a better life than that. We're not called to stay in the murkiness of, of, of a sinful life, uh, drinking that bitterness. We're actually called to live an incredible life, a life full of joy, happiness, and whatnot. Not saying that you're not going to suffer or go through some issues while you're on this side. But some of these tendencies, we keep tripping up over and over them because we don't address it, right? We don't fix it. It's like, it's like in your house when you have that leaky faucet and you just, you just see it there. Every day you see it there. And you'd be like, at first it's like, oh, that's not that. We'll fix it next week. We'll fix it next week. Next, week. next you know, years have passed and now you've got a green dot in your sink. You know, just we have to address it, right? So we've been talking about pride, we've talked about envy, we talked about wrath, last week we talked about sloth, right, the guy at the DMV, I found it ironic that I was on Monday at the DMV, 
couldn't have planned that. I, I honestly, I just, my wife said, we need to go to DMV. And I was like, for what? We like, you need to go. I was like, oh, okay. I was there for three hours. Actually, Tuesday. Was it Tuesday? Tuesday. I went Tuesday. Three hours in there. Three hours. All so I can say I followed the rules. That was rough right there. Three hours. All right. So today's deadly sin. All right. Get ready. Adjust yourselves in your seats because today's deadly sin is greed. Greed. I was stopped at, uh, at a store yesterday. Hey, is, is tomorrow's deadly sin lust? I was like, no, that, that's much later. We got later. Today we're going to talk about greed. All right? Greed. And so my question is, have you ever been online somewhere or seen this happen where someone grabbed way more than they should have grabbed? All right? Here, let me give you an example. Anybody been to Toppers before? Right? You know, at Toppers, they got good pizza, and they have a, sal- a little mini salad area bar. Right? And they sell you the plates by sizes. They have the small side dish salad. It's, little co- it's like the size of your hand. Right? It's like this. Right? And then they have the bigger size, which is like for like maybe a meal for those who are watching their family. I never get that. Right? And so, um, so you go there. Everybody knows what I'm talking about. Right? And they just have a salad bar. And you go around and, and you fill your little salad plate with, with all the fixings and stuff like that. And um, I'm not, I'm not going to lie. I fill mine up. I want to make sure, you know, it's nice and, and, and healthy. Right? The plates, not the food, because I put bacon bits in there, and I put, you know, so cheese. Anyway, so you have that, but I order the side one. But there's always somebody, actually, there's always a lot of people, and I've seen it with mine, maybe you've seen it, that they're trying to follow the rule, because you can only go once. They're trying to follow. But have you seen it? They're like this. Holding the plate. They're like, they, they just piled it on. And, I, and I'm in awe. I'm in awe. I'm like, how do they do that? That is a gift to be able to balance all of that salad on that plate. And then I feel, I was, maybe they're feeding the table. I don't know. But it is, I'm like, and so I want to call them out and be like, is that for you? Is that for everybody? You know, like, like you know, I, I, obviously I don't do that. Not yet anyway. But you know what I'm talking about? Or how about the, the, the kid at the birthday party who's hoarding the cupcakes? There's always one kid. You know there is. Somehow he snuck away to the side. He's already, you've already given the cupcakes, and somehow he has two on one hand plus another two on the other and one in his mouth. Yeah, I know. Kid's going to get sick to his stomach. Maybe you were that kid. I don't know, Right? But I believe we all know, we all have seen and all have some greed in us. Maybe you don't, maybe you're like, oh, no, I'm not, this, no, not me. I'm, I'm, I'm going to show you this morning that there's greed in all of us. So let's start off by defining what is greed. Greed is the unquestionable, unbridled pursuit of more. Of more. You're, you're actually going after more. It's an unending obsession with acquisition and accumulation, pursuit and possession. Somehow I feel like I'm about to talk about the squirrel in, in Ice Age. The constant pursuit of more, the constant pursuit of accumulation, accumulation. It, is, it is wanting, possessing more. It's about getting and having, not enjoying. It loves the hunt. 
It loves the search, the chase. That is its, its preoccupation, the hunt and the chase. And as soon as it hits its target, as soon as it acquires what it wants, what it's set after, it sets its sights on something else. It's compulsively unsatisfied. For the greedy, there is no such thing as enough. Because greed only wants one thing, and that is more. I want more. I'm going to be honest with you. I have entered restaurants, and I have asked for more. I I live a transparent life. I will tell you this, this right here. When I go to McDonald's, I do not order a small Coke. That's one gulp, right? I'm just, I'm just trying to bring it down to you because some of you are looking at me like, that's not me. Still, I, I don't know what that is, right? How much more? Well, we want more than what we have now. Greed doesn't concern itself with questions like, do I really need it? Will I get much use out of it? Can I afford it? What will it ultimately cost me and those around me? Is it even good for me? Can I take care of it? How might this impact or affect others around me? Your answer to all of that is, who cares? I want something more. I want something new. I want something bigger. I want something better, and I want it now. Necessity and sustainability are irrelevant when it comes to this. It can look like buying more of something you already have, ladies. Ouch. And don't really need. Getting annoyed over the wasteful financial cost of relational activities. Letting the good thing you have go to neglect, go into neglect while you chase something more or better. Ordering something online. That's me. Ordering something online you don't need because you want the magical feeling of getting something new, of that doorbell. Ding, ding, Amazon. (laughs) Taking a huge handful of anything labeled free, even if you don't want it or need it. Refusing to lend Give away or donate things you haven't used in years. Giving more attention to those who appear wealthy. Feeling the need to, uh, to, to draw attention to nice things, to the nice things that you have. Judging every experience by its profitability and efficiency. Making decisions that hurt people but benefit the bottom line. Only being generous when it will benefit you financially or reputationally later. That anyone here? No hands. Friends, greed justifies itself by relabeling wants as needs. It convinces us that excess is essential. This is especially true in a first world culture that's fueled by advertising. The United States of America. Here in the U.S., we become convinced that greed is good. It's it's a virtue, pastor. It's it's noble. 
And not buying in not buying something is un-American, even ungodly, if you would. Our culture has converted consumerism into pseudo-religion or something fake or false, fooling us into believing that fulfillment, satisfaction is found in having the finances to do whatever we want whenever we want. But here's the thing, church. Grabbing all that you can is not Christ-like. It's not a Christ value either. It's capitalistic. It's a capitalistic value. You've seen people do it. I've, I've, the last past week, I've gone school shopping for kids. And it is crazy how people are fighting and pushing and shoving, trying to grab. I, was, I saw this lady pick up like 50 things of glue. And I'm like, really? Like, are you making slime or what do you? It was on my because it was like she goes. I I have to take so much because it's it's so cheap. Christianity, folks, does not equal capitalism. The truth of the matter is, greed is a complete lack of contentment. Greed is a complete lack of contentment. It's an anxious inability to rest and relax in the moment. Enjoying what already exists, what you already have, and even though it doesn't entirely, uh, even though it doesn't entirely enjoy it, it's afraid to lose it. The greedy tell themselves things like, "I'll enjoy what I've got when I've got a little bit more." But more is a destination no one ever arrives at. Think about that. More is a destination than no one really arrives at. Because once you get to more, you feel like you need more. And you need more. And you need more. This idea comes up over and over again in the New Testament, in the Scripture. In fact, greed is so prevalent and so poisonous that there are more references in the Bible uh, about greed than there is about sex or, 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 or uh, salvation, for that matter. Let's jump into the word and, and see what it says in 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6 through 8. It says, yet true godliness with contentment is itself great worth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world, and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. Here, he's describing the opposite of greed. Greed kills contentment, driving us to hunt and to hoard. Anybody know a hoarder? That's not pretty at all. It forces us to think, I've got to go after that. I see that, and I want that, and i got to have it, so I'm going to go after that. I can't let go of this. My happiness depends on it. I need everything I already have and a lot that I don't have yet. Greed finds itself, finds its foundation in fear. 
want you to keep that in your, in your, in your mind for a second. Greed finds its foundation in fear. Fear of going without, of not having enough, of running out later, which is why most passages mention, uh, excuse me, why, why most passages that mention one pair it with the other. I'll give you a quick sneak peek into my life post-hurricane a year ago, a year and a half ago. Actually, almost two years now. We were living in Puerto Rico, and the hurricane hit. Took out all the power, all the water, the supply. Closed down all the shops. Couldn't get to anything. Whatever you actually purchased, um, you had to live with. Here's the crazy thing is, right before that, there was another hurricane that was predicted that um, we were supposed to go through. So we went out and bought what we needed to buy. The island is a small island. So we, as consumers purchase everything the island had. That's how people prepare uh, for the highlight. So maybe you, you know, you've seen it here with the earthquakes. You go get flashlights. There's no flashlights. You know, batteries are gone. It's the same thing in Puerto Rico. All the water was gone. All of the consumable stuff, the things in cans, all of that was gone off the shelves because there was a hurricane coming. So the hurricane that came actually just went north of us, right, didn't hit us straight on, and it hit, that's the one that ripped through Florida, central Florida. Right, and the other islands by Puerto Rico, being a country that's generous, decided to give whatever resources they had to the nearby islands that were, were done, not really knowing that another hurricane was coming. Everything on the island is imported. In other words, it take if a ship was to ever stop, not come to the U.S. to deliver goods, it would set back the island two weeks. So not only did we purchase everything on the island. And the things that we did not use, did we give them out? But because of the hurricane, boats weren't coming in, and there was another hurricane coming. So there was absolutely nothing on the island when the hurricane that passed through Puerto Rico hit. Lost power, lost water, craziness. I've never been through anything like that, and I wouldn't, rec- I wouldn't wish it on anyone else. We went through that. We lost power at the uh, middle of September, we did not see power to Christmas. Water, we lost water for two and a half months. This body right here was taking a one-gallon bath of water. That's a hard thing to do. Right? We don't even, we don't even think about it. We turn on the water. And you, don't, you, don't, you don't really understand how many gallons of water it takes for you to take a bath. I just want to let you know that one gallon is not enough. There were parts that did not get washed on certain days. All right? But we lived through that. And then all of a sudden, things started trying to get back. Some people started bringing stuff. Resources started coming. And I remember going to Costco. There was a Costco there. We spent about eight hours online just to get into Costco. We're not talking about the line to register yet. And we were rationed for food. We were rationed for water and all of this stuff. And I can't tell you the people out, like there were people outside waiting for people to put stuff in their cars so they can get hijacked. It, it, was, it, was, it was a dog-eat world, dog-eat-dog world. It was incredible. It was, it, was, it was scary to see gas tr- trucks being brought in or escorted by the military because they were getting hijacked. Because people needed gas, not for their car, but for the generators that supplied power to people. 
So there's greed. There's the need to survive. But there's greed wherever we go. The fear of going without. The fear of not having enough. The fear of running out. We become convinced that the more we have, the less fear and anxiety we'll have. But in reality, the more we have, the more we think we need. And the more there is to protect. All of which which makes us more fearful and more anxious, not less. So I'm going to give you another question for you to think about. Just for a second here. How many decisions in your life have been made as a result of fear related to money? How many decisions have you made for yourself, for your spouse, for your family, for your kids, for your home, right, that were birthed out of a fear pertaining to money? Because when fear is calling the shots, priorities get perverted. When fear is dictating your life, your decisions, all hell breaks loose. Nothing makes sense anymore. If acquiring and accumulating become your primary focus, you'll find yourself doing all sorts of things that you never thought that you or even imagined that you would ever do in order to get your hands on what you want. Especially if you become convinced that your wants aren't wants at all, but that they're your needs and the needs that you deserve. Do you see where I'm going? 2 Timothy chapter 6, verse 9, we continue to read, says, But people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them. Right? That, that, that plunged them into ruin and destruction. Verse 10, this is where it gets down to the nitty-gritty. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Now, we're talking about money here, money meaning material possession, a.k.a. stuff. And I want you to hear me clearly because this is super important before you start gossiping on social media and what pastor said. Stuff is not evil. Having stuff is not evil. That's not what I'm saying at all. All right? We clear on that? Becoming overly attached to your stuff is where the problem lies. There is a difference. Do we all understand and see the difference? Elevating stuff over people is wrong. Doing underhanded things to get stuff is wrong. Taking one another's, uh, another people's stuff is wrong. Defining success by how much and what kind of stuff someone else uh, has is wrong. Determining someone's value based on, um, on how well they are living their life financially is wrong. What kind of stuff they have is wrong. Greed leads to all kinds of evil. The worst of which might be in the case of Judas, right, who trades his relationship with Jesus for money. So 
So the question lies for us who are trying to live a life more like Jesus, are we actually willing to trade our relationship with Jesus for some coins, some money, moolah, however you want to call it? Greed distorts our priorities, church, eliciting the help of many and all other sins to accomplish the self-centered goals that we have and justifies our actions every step of the way. And when the more, quote, unquote, the more we get our hands on still isn't enough for us, it's twice as painful because we're, we, we sacrificed our integrity to acquire something that didn't because it can't really make us happy. In other words, we went out of our way. We put our family, our friends to the side in order to attain something that we felt was going to bring us satisfaction, was going to gratify us. And when it didn't, and we take a step back and the smoke clears, we've realized we've hurt other people. We've hurt friendships. All because we wanted to attain stuff. And it doesn't just hurt us. It hurts those who, took, who we took from, who we used, who we abused, who we mold over, who we devalued in order to get what we wanted. Greed distorts what and who we see as important, assigning value according to usefulness and usefulness according to production, which is code word for how much money they bring in. I'm not saying this is anyone in here, but how many of us have decided to become friends because someone or because of the money or the status that someone else had, who they can connect you with? what they can do for you. When this is the lens in which we see, through, see things through, our perspective, right, everyone is only worth their net worth. So I got lint in my pocket. Is that to say that I'm only worth the lint in my pocket to you, to my family? Think about that, folks. Think about that for a second. Which means those who are no longer economically viable to us are no longer valuable to us. The unpopular, the weak, the disabled, the children, the elderly are dismissed because they don't make financial sense to us. Unfortunately, we all end up in one of these categories sooner or later driving us, uh, all of us, to anxiously grab all we can before we're deemed irrelevant. So what choice do we have? It's every person for themselves in this world. It's not selfishness, it's survival. And when we adopt this mentality, this perspective, this view of life, we become callous and uncaring to those around us. Why? Why is that? I believe it's because greed is more concerned with me getting what I want than all of us getting what we need. 
Greed is more concerned with me getting what I want than all of us getting what we need. It numbs our sense of, of, uh, of equity, of, of mercy, of generosity. It elevates me over we. Now, it's easy to associate greed with the wealthy, right? We, we think the people that are, are, are wealthy, we think of them as greedy. But poor people can be greedy just as much as the rich. You see, greed is an attitude. Greed is a disposition. Greed is an approach to life. It's not how much zeros you have in your account. Greed isn't about how much stuff you have. It's about the priority you place on it and your attachment to it. It's about your willingness to do whatever it takes to hang on to what you've got and maybe get just a little bit more. Interesting enough, many of us insist we're not greedy, but we also wouldn't be willing to give up most of what we already own in order to be happy. Not because I couldn't do it, just because it just wouldn't work, Pastor. I don't have a problem. So where do we go from here, church? Where does this come from? What's driving it? Church, it's a desire to be self-reliant. I don't want to have to trust in God to provide for me. I don't want to have to rely on God to be my provider. Yeah, I said that earlier today that he is our provider. But I don't want to trust in someone I cannot physically see to provide for me. These callus on my hands are from hard work. I'll continue to hard work to be the provider for my family. If I just had a little bit more, I, would, I, I could trust myself more. How much more? More than I have now, Pastor. What we're after, church, is a sense of control. We want to be in control. We want to be in control of our lives. We want to be in control of our finances. We want to dictate what we have and what we don't have. But here's the kicker, folks. True control is just an illusion. You think that you'll have control. You'll never really have control. Someone's always going to dictate what you can have and that cannot have. Friends, you are not in control. You're not in control. To be honest with you, God is in control. Greed is an unwillingness to acknowledge that God is in control, that God is your provider. This actually stems from a lack of trust. When we don't believe God will provide what we need, we turn to greed. When we don't believe that God actually can provide for our necessities, we turn to greed. If God won't give me more, I'll go out and grab it for myself. So how do we fight against that, church? How do we combat that? Well, contrary to the impulse of some, the antidote, to greed isn't to devalue things, but to rediscover the true value 
of everything and to learn to enjoy it, be grateful for, content with, and a good steward of whatever things you happen to have at the moment. I remember coming from Puerto Rico. We sold everything. We sold everything. We came with 20 boxes. We went from a four-bedroom house to 20 boxes. Because it was expensive to ship stuff from over there. I was like, take it. I can't afford it. Send it over. Right? And for the first year and a half, we lived off donations that people gave. The generous, the generosity of people. Oh, I, I no longer use it. It's in storage. Hey, I'll give you this. I'll give you that. I'll give you this. I'll get the girls this. I'll give the girls that. And I have no shame standing here to tell you that that's how it played out for us. Simply because I know who provided for me, who provided for my family. And I'm extremely grateful for, heart, for God moving in the hearts of those who bless my family and I. Listen to, oh, I got one more point here. Greed entraps you by promising what only contentment can deliver. Greed entraps you by promising what only contentment can deliver. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in Philippians 4.12. says, I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or an empty stomach, with plenty or little. If you're like me, when you read that, you think, man, that sounds amazing. That sounds incredible to be calm, to be content, no matter what you have. Because our human nature, our human tendency is to hunt and it's to hoard. Compounded by our consumeristic culture, it creates something different in us altogether. How much different will, would the world be? How much different would you, your experience be in life if your worldview synced up with what Paul was saying here? If you legitimately thought, if I only have a little, I'm grateful for every last bit of it. And I'm not worried or fearful about when the next is coming. Why? Because God is my provider. God supplies all of my needs. I lack nothing because I have the provider of all things. And if I have a lot, I, have, I, I know how to enjoy it. But I'm also not attached to it. In fact, I walk around open-handed and everything that I have, I'm looking for opportunities to bless and give to those in need. Because Paul is telling us that what, feel, what it feels like to be him. This is what Paul is saying. And maybe you're thinking, Pastor, that's, that sounds nice, but that's, that's really impossible. Philippians uh, 4.13 says, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Now, I'll say, Pastor, how are you bringing that into this story, right? Are you just going to grab that out of midair? But this is how the story fall, plays out. Many of you have heard this verse before but never knew the context from which it came from. What is Paul claiming is possible through Jesus? He's prioritizing Christ over consumerism. When we have Christ in our lives, when we have Jesus, we can't lack. 
So this is how Jesus suggests we combat greed by cultivating contentment. Matthew 5, 7 says, God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. The greedy show no mercy, church. The greedy care about what's in it for them. I worked hard for it. I deserve it. It's mine. I don't care how it impacts you or anyone else. Go figure it out for yourself. So why does Jesus tell us to pursue mercy? Because mercy gives way to generosity. And open-handedness is the opposite of greed. When you are generous, you're walking in the opposite direction of being greedy. And when we treat others with generosity, we too will be treated with generosity. So I'm going to wrap this up here, and I want you to take four quick notes here. Jot these down, take a picture as I close this up. What are some practical ways we can cultivate generosity, mercy, and ultimately contentment in our lives? Number one, track your spending. All right? I believe in giving you practical things here. Track your spending. Watch where every dollar goes over the next month. Ask yourself what your spending says about your character, about your loves, your excess and deficiencies. If you discover your spending doesn't match your preferred values, make a plan to direct that money elsewhere. In other words, see where you're spending your money, the bulk of your money. Where is it going to? Is it going to to fix your hobbies? Is it benefiting your family in some way? Does it speak about the things that you love, the things that value the most to you? Number two, tell yourself why you're thankful. Remind yourself. Speak it. Look at what you have and think about how fortunate it is for you to have those things. Be grateful for it, even though you don't need it. With my girls, we often pray, Lord, we thank you for the, for the roof over our head, the, the food on the table, the clothes on our back. Even the gas in the car. Be grateful for what you have. Number three, tithe. Tithe. Practice giving a set percentage of your income away every time that you get paid. It's about acknowledging God as your priority and your provider. He doesn't need it, FYI. But it helps your heart, positions your heart to understand that he is your priority, that he is your provider that he is in control, that he can be trusted to take care of your needs. This rhythm of uh, uh, doing this regularly reminds and helps us to keep greed in check. Number four, take a break from consumption. Call the time out. Take a break from consumption. Break a 
pick a predetermined amount of time to fast uh, from cultural from the cultural hustle of hustling and hoarding. During its time, don't go to stores. Don't even window shop. Don't pick up a catalog. Don't open a magazine. Don't go to Amazon. Limit your exposure to advertising. Maybe even force yourself to eat everything in your fridge first before going out and buying. Wear everything in your closet first before buying something new. The point of this is to reset your compulsion to get more in order to feel good. And lastly, number five, treat others expecting nothing in return. Treat others expecting nothing in return. In other words, look for opportunities to do something extravagant for someone else, someone other than you. To give above and beyond, to support a big project. This isn't about giving the bare minimum or giving your leftovers or things you didn't want anyway, but giving your best instead of hoarding it for yourself. Look for those opportunities to be a blessing to someone. These five practical things I believe that you can take home and you can begin to apply it to your everyday life and put some distance between you and the deadly sin of greed. I said a lot today, folks. Maybe this week you jump on the podcast and re-listen to it. Pause it on those areas that you're like, mm, that right there, that's a tough one. It's true right here. Let me, let me meditate on this for a little bit. Because the truth of the matter, church, is that everyone has some sort of greediness in them. We do. So how do we take what we've learned today and apply it to separate ourselves from that just a little bit? I think it'll help us. It'll help you, your family, your loved ones. As we put some distance between being greedy and actually living the life that God has purposed us to live. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we bless you. And we thank you, Lord, for your word today. Thank you, Lord, that you continue to chip away at us. Chisel and hammer. Chipping away those things that are not of you, that don't line up with what you've, or how you've called us to live here. Help us, Lord, to see it, recognize it, call it out and do something about it. Lord, I pray a blessing over your people today, my God, that they would take heed to this word and move forward in growing and being the person that you've called them to be. To you be all the glory and the honor. In your name we pray, amen. We're going to get ready to collect our tithes and our